had an amazing last week, huh? Yeah, whether, whether or not you were there among us in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, you are sitting in this room and therefore a part of the move that God is taking us through right now. Uh, I don't just have a strong feeling. We know that God is taking us into a time of victorious conquering over within our own families, within this land, and I know God will take the same tone of what we're doing here and take it to many other nations and continents in the process. Amen. Amen. One of the one of my favorite things that the Lord was just speaking to me while we were at the conference in Gatlinburg was just the way that we are being strengthened and even as it pertains to our durability being hardened a bit right now. One of those things that I was really excited to hear about whenever we came back from this conference is I saw, I heard less than ever before this competition of who had the most difficult travel and who was the most tired and whose kids were puking the most. And, and I heard less whining than ever before. And for that, I am grateful because the Lord is setting up an army for his glory right here in this house. There are enough spectators, as Pastor Mike said, in churches everywhere. I mean, they have about 40 of them in the city alone of people who have absolutely no desire to get out and do anything for Jesus, but they'll go to church every Sunday. This is not the place to do that. And we are rejoicing that we are here together, strengthened and emboldened more than ever before. We want you guys to be excited about the things that we're going to go into today and in the weeks to come because we are really going to be getting aggressive with any of the things that are going on within our own hearts within our own families within our own character issues issues of discipline and everything like that because God wants to do a mighty work through you and through your family not through the pastorate not through some special anointed man who you know gets paid some salary to be a man who hands out blessings in return for your tithes, it's just, we're talking about a real move of God that includes you and your family. In that, he is going to help us to remove every obstacle and every stumbling block within our families so that we can win together. One of the things that in the Holy Spirit I was hearing while we were uh, worshiping and singing together, our God reigns, our God reigns forever, your kingdom reigns, is that the Lord said, like in the times of Joshua, I am releasing your camp to go out and work, to go and fight battles to the song and to the beat of our God reigns. And Remnant, we are moving forward right now, starting today. Amen. So some of the things that we talked about in the conference and a pivotal set of scriptures that we focused on together had to do with some passages out of Judges with uh, about, a, about a judge who did not sacrifice his children, but rather raised up sons and daughters, that his daughters would go out and be a blessing to the surrounding clans and bring the witness of God's people to those places. And then, the, and then his sons would marry daughters from these other clans and all together the governance of Yahweh over his people happened all throughout the land, and it happened through families. Do y'all remember that? Yes. Did that bless you? Yes. Well, one of the other stories we talked about was out of 2 Kings chapter 11. Do you remember what the young king's name that was being raised up? 
what was his name? Joash. Joash was a seven-year-old king. Wow. I mean, God starts to raise up young men to do a father's and a king's work whenever there aren't enough older men doing it. We're seeing it in this generation, and we are actually making a turn as a church to be those who preserve our little ones because God will ask of David and of CJ and of Elias and others in this room more things at a younger age than ever before because the land is lacking kings and fathers and they will rule like kings and be men of authority even at young ages. Today, we're going to go again into some of these same subjects that we covered at the conference in Gatlinburg. We're going to look at 2 Kings 11, and we're going to discover all of the ways, all of the things that God was doing whenever he had a Levitical priest stand up and say, enough with this. I will lay down my life to guard this Davidic line if that's what I have to do. I will preserve it, and I don't see a seven-year-old. I see a king that will eventually, through his generations, bring a Messiah, and that I will live and die for. We're going to have that same zeal right here in this church. Amen? So we want to remind you, we don't want to miss not one thing. I, I promised to myself and to Pastor Landon, we would, we would start with reminding you of this. Our brothers and sisters and their children who are going to Romania and to Italy are an example of everything that you will do in your life too. Whether you stay in Denton the rest of your life or whether God speaks to your family to be planted elsewhere, this is the same work that we are doing. Our brothers, Pastor Judah, Pastor Nick, Pastor Peyton, and uh, Pastor Nick again. There's so many Nicks. Um, they, their families are being planted as present kings, raising up future kings, so that in the work that is going on in Europe, God will continue to develop a witness of his people there, and then also pursue into the Middle East. We will see Jerusalem singing and shouting our God reigns. Amen? So we want to remind you guys, do not forget the opportunity that was given to you when we were in Gatlinburg. It is a blessing and it is an honor to consider everything that you have a resource and a seed to be sown for the purpose of supporting the work of God's workmen and of his saints. And there are families crying out in Romania and in Italy awaiting for the revealing of the sons of God. And it is a blessing to Remnant Church to give even out of our poverty the things that we might not think that we have so that we can sow into that so that that answer for that cry can be had in Romania. Amen? Well, today we're going to start in Psalm chapter 1, if y'all can start to turn there, because we are going to look at all of these things that we learned about in Gatlinburg through the lens of Psalm chapter 1. Say remnant of kings when you get there. Hallelujah. Y'all are there already. Well, that's the title of today's message, Remnant of Kings. We are going to today. I mean, today we are going, we're not going to, we're not going to preach a good message and wait a few days or weeks or months for it to kick in. Today we are moving in unity in the revelation that God is raising up kings and future kings in this house so that we might be 
rulers over his uh, rulers over the wicked forces in this land and lead his people into freedom. Amen. Did you all have a good time in Gatlinburg? Did you come today expecting, as Pastor Mike would say, three points in a poem and a 30-minute message to get you out to lunch, get you back at your nap time, get ready for your work week tomorrow? No, we came ready for some steak. Y'all ready for some meat? Come on. Y'all in Psalm 1? Psalm 1. Starting in one says, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight, whose delight? My delight, say my delight, is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaves do not wither. And whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, for they are like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor will sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Can somebody say amen? Amen! It is clear that into, even within the church today, there is confusion as to whether or not we ought to live according to this, even this very first scripture coming out of Psalm 1. The psalmist was clear that it is a blessing or blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand in the path of sinners, or sit in the seat of scoffers. We're telling you today there is zero room for God's people to be participating in these things. We're going to see this in our first chunk of scripture we're going to go through today. Go ahead and turn over to 1 Kings chapter 16, and we're going to lay down some foundation for you. Y'all keep Psalm 1 moving in the back of your head as we go, because as Pastor referenced at the beginning, that's the lens that we are going to look at. Everything we talk about next, we're going to look at it through the lens of Psalm 1. So keep that bookmarked in the back of your head and keep that in mind as we read through several passages as we move forward. First Kings chapter 16, look at verse 25 when you get there. I'm going to read this through for you and then we're going to do a little bit of an explanation so that we're all on the same page, okay? It says in verse 25, Omri did evil in the sight of the Lord and acted more wickedly than all those who were before him. For he walked in all the, way of Je- all the ways of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and in his sins, which he made Israel sin, provoking the Lord God of Israel with their idols. It continues in verse 28. So Omri slept with his fathers and was buried in Samaria. And Ahab, his son, became king in his place. Remember Ahab and Jezebel? We're about to get all up in this subject. Now Ahab, the son of Omri, became king over Israel in the 38th year of King Asa of Judah. And Ahab, the son of Omri reigned over Israel 
in Samaria for 22 years. Verse 30, Ahab, the son of Omri. Do you think they're making sure you know who this guy is? I'm telling you, the scribes and the prophets who write these things are making sure this dude has nothing to do with the line of David. We'll explain that more in a moment. It says, Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all of those who were before him. His father is declared more wicked than every king that ever came before him. And then Ahab gets the exact same description, even more so than his father. Verse 31, it came about as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he married Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians, and went to serve Baal and worshipped him. Verse 32 says that he erects an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. A king within the land of Israel is building altars and temples for pagan gods. He even made an Asherah. It continues in verse 33. Thus Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel than all of the kings of Israel who were before him. In his days, Hael the Bethelite even rebuilt Jericho. It says, goes on to say in verse 34 that Hael received all of the curses that Joshua, son of Nun, pronounced whenever they destroyed Jericho. This is a time of utter anarchy against God's authority in the land. We want to make sure that you understand some things here. Omri is a wicked military general who overthrows the king who came before him. During a time of chaos, and lawlessness, this evil man named Omri rises up and he's put on the throne by his fellow wicked workers within the nation of Israel. And he's clearly evil, as 1 Kings 16 describes. Yet the worst thing that he did was raise up a son who was twice the child of hell that he was. You know, Jesus meant what he said whenever he said that to people who think that they're doing good in the name of God. You can absolutely raise up someone that is twice the child of hell that you are. Well, this is what Omri did. Omri gives birth to Ahab. Ahab takes the reins of Israel and steers it in the most wicked direction that we will ever see in our Bible. Successfully bringing in as his wife the daughter of a priest of Baal. He marries her, as some say, because he saw her as physically intriguing and beautiful. And just because the lust of the flesh and the lust of his eyes could not take it and not, could not say no, he says yes to it. And because he says yes to it for one moment, he ends up saying yes to it the rest of his life. He no longer is living in the sins of Omri. He's living in the sins of Ethbal as well, who's not even from his country or from his, among his countrymen. We now have the curses and the, the pagan gods, and we have all of the difficulties that come with not just a lawless people of Israel, 
but a lawless nation of people who are utterly against God. And this man, as a complacent and cowardly king, invites in a woman just because he found her beautiful. And we're going to see today just how much wickedness this invites, not just into his family line, but in a way that affects the entire nation. Yeah. Go ahead. Y'all turn a few pages over to 2 Kings chapter 11. Here we go. Don't worry, we haven't started yet. We're going to pick up in verse 21. We're going to break it down as we go, but we are going to read through verse 21. Starting in verse 1, it says, When Athaliah, say Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah saw that her son was dead. She rose and destroyed all of the royal offspring. But Jehosheba, the daughter of King Joram, sister of Ahaziah, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him from among the king's sons who were being put to death and placed him and his nurse in the bedroom. So they hid him from Athaliah, and he was not put to death. Verse 3 says, So he was hidden with her in the house of the Lord for six years while Athaliah was reigning over the land. We know that Joash is a young, upcoming king in the line of David. He's the only legitimate king left. There are no sons of David left in the land that would continue to reign as God promised through his prophets and through his priests long before. That through the line of David, he would bring a redeemer, who would bring a Messiah. We have to understand today just how important it is for one faithful woman within a house of wickedness to say, I don't have all of the answers, but I'm looking at my little one-year-old baby here. And if it means saving him, I will flee with him or I will give him to someone who can guard him and can protect him in the house of the Lord until he becomes everything he's supposed to be. Because generations are relying on him. One of the things we want you to be processing today as we're working through this subject is just how important your children are. Whether they are newly born, one years old, or 20 years old. If you have children in the room or just not in the room but you have them, consider just how important it is to be the man or the woman who says, enough with the wickedness of this world. I will guard them with my life. We want you to understand that Ahab and Jezebel have given birth to a wicked queen named Athaliah. Now, we're going to help you out with some resources here over the coming weeks to make sure that none of this stuff is intellectually confusing. There are a lot of names and a lot of the names overlap with each other. There's a kingdom of Judah and there's a kingdom of Israel right? The kingdom of God's people were factioned into two, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. In this process, it is especially confusing because there are so many men with the same names across both kingdoms at the same time. This will not, in Remnant Church, 
be a reason why we do not get the revelation that God is giving to us. We will help you in every way. This is going to just be what we talk about as a community for the months to come. We will not leave this subject for a long time because there's so much gold hidden in this from the Lord. But we need you to understand today that Ahab, as it was said, son of Omri, marries a wicked woman named Jezebel. He and Jezebel give birth to three children, and one of them is a daughter whose name is Athaliah. Athaliah gives birth to a son named Ahaziah, but whenever he dies, she goes on a rampage. I'm I'm trying to help decipher this as much as I can for you. Are you you understanding this? She is angry that her son is dead, who was 18 years old and only got to rule for six months. He watches his his uncle get slaughtered by King Jehu and runs in fear and dies while he's running away in fear at 18 years old. Ahaziah is dead. Athaliah is um, unhappy about the situation. And so she seeks to kill the entire line of David because God had spoken to another man named Jehu to eliminate the lineage of Ahab and Jezebel to wipe them out from the land. But she was going to put up a good fight until the end. So understand Ahaziah is Athaliah's son. He's dead. She is now sitting on the throne But not in Israel, like Ahab and Jezebel. She's sitting on the throne in Judah. We'll get into the in the weeks to come how that even happens. But God is working really hard to make sure that none of this defiling spirit that's coming from the line of Ahab and Jezebel sits and remains on a throne in 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 Judah. Let's continue in verse four. Verse four says, Now in the seventh year, Jehoiada, say Jehoiada. Jehoiada sent and brought the captains of hundreds of the Kerites and of the guard and brought them in to him in the house of the Lord. And he made a covenant with them and put them under oath in the house of the Lord and showed them the king's son. Realize, we talked about this before, Joash, no one except his mom and his nurse knew and, um, excuse me, and Jehosheba knew that he was even alive. So you can imagine soldiers walking in at the call of a, of a, of a, a soldier, and they walk in, and, and Jehoiada the priest is like, look, we're going to do this. By the way, here's a seven-year-old kid that you thought died seven years ago, but he's the real reason we're fighting because his kingship needs to live on, right? So picking up back in verse 5, it says, he commanded them saying, this is the thing that you shall do, one-third of you who come in on the Sabbath and keep watch over the king's house. One-third also shall be at the gate of Sir, and one-third at the gate behind the guards. You shall keep watch over the house of defense. Two parts of you, even all who go out on the Sabbath, shall also keep watch over your house for the Lord the king. Then you shall surround the king, Joash, each with his weapons in his hand. And whoever comes within the ranks shall be put to death. If anyone gets close, kill him. And be with the king when he goes out and when he comes in. So the captains of hundreds did according to all that Jehoiada the priest had commanded them. And each of them took his men who were to come in on the Sabbath with those who were to go out on the Sabbath. And came to Jehoiada the priest. 
And the priest Jehoiada gave to the captains of hundreds the spears and the shields that had been King David's, which were in the house of the Lord. Come on, this is everything that we were getting encouraged by in Gatlinburg together. And it's the message we're bringing home. We are being equipped with the weapons of old for the sake of defending the generations to come. We're not just defending the line and the lineage of David. We're using the weapons of warfare that were used to establish righteousness. You know that you use the same weapons to preserve righteousness that you used to establish righteousness? Whenever we as kings start to think that a different way of life comes once it's established, that's whenever you become Ahab and you give up the shalom that's in the land that you established in the first place. No other weapons are as good as the original ones that established shalom in the land in the first place. Understand what Karaites are. It says that Jehoiada, who is a high priest at the time of Queen Athaliah and little King Joash that's coming up, says that Jehoiada goes and brings in the Karaites. This is another beautiful thing we've learned about recently. And they were a Gentile elite fighting force. They started as mercenaries and they became integrated with the army of Israel. The Karaites were a royal guard of Gentiles. Think of like Ittai. Like you weren't supposed to be there. But now you're here, and now you're so loyal that you might as well be one of us. This is a beautiful prophetic image of what it would look like for the Gentile and for the Jew to be standing with a little Messiah saying, This God reigns. Long live the king. I was waiting for it. Hey, Vanessa, you're getting ahead. Just chill out, okay? <laughs> We've only got three more hours. We'll get there. We'll get there. We're going to let you preach next time. Uh, the Karaites are a Gentile regiment of soldiers, executioners, and guards. The guards that are described here are the Levitical priesthood guards that guard the place of the temple. Does this make sense? Yeah. So we have Gentile and we have Hebrew guards standing guard over this young little king. The fact that these Levitical guards were doing what they were doing in the first place, you have to understand this was signing your name on a death warrant. True. This chick sitting on the throne has lost her marbles completely. And she is the offspring of the most wicked woman Israel has ever seen. They are professional massacring witches. Yeah. We're trying to put it the nicest way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like these are professional murderers on the throne. And they have no desire for God's will to be done in the land. And these men are saying, if it costs me my life, I will preserve the real thing. We need some more of that in this land. And we're going to get it from you men here in this room. Jehoiada is a priest and a father figure. You, you, we have to understand that in order to see a Karite guard and a Levitical guard stand up and say, I will live and die and fight and breathe and eat and sleep and everything for the purpose of preserving the real thing, somebody has to stand up and say, 
Let's do this thing together. That's what we're doing here. Let's continue in verse 11. Verse 11 says, The guards stood each with his weapons in his hands from the right side of the house to the left side of the house, by the altar and by the house, every possible way to surround the king. It says they did it. Then he brought out the king's son to the public and put the crown on him and gave him the testimony and made him king and anointed him. And they clapped their hands saying, Long live the king. When Athaliah heard, uh oh, when she heard long live the king and heard the noise of the garden of the people, she came to the people in the house of the Lord. She looked and behold, the king was standing by the pillar, according to the custom, with the captains and the trumpeters beside the king. And all the people of the land rejoiced and blew trumpets, and Athaliah tore her clothes and cried, Treason! Treason! And Jehoiada the priest commanded the hundreds who were with him appointed over the army and said to them, Bring her out between the ranks, and whoever follows her, put them to death with the sword. For the priest said, Let her not be put to death in the house of the Lord. So they seized her, and when she arrived at the horse's entrance of the king's house, there she was put to death. Okay, so first of all, I find it interesting that we have the same thing going on today, that when women like, or men, with an Athaliah spirit, unfortunately, unfortunately, throw the same tantrums, they still do it the same way. They like strip themselves naked in the streets and fly flags and scream obscenities at people as they walk by. It's the same wicked stuff going on since these days. It's not changed a bit. Yeah. So in this case... So in this case, Jehoiada does a work that Jehu, who had begun to kill the line of Ahab and Jezebel, did not do. It's a passage we didn't particularly cover today, but it's said of Jehu that he did not remove the sin of Jeroboam in the land. So he was faithful to kill Jezebel. He was faithful to lead an army to trample the descendants of Ahab and Jezebel. And we make it all the way to this point where Jehu is not in the picture because God blessed him with, a, with four generations of sons who would rule as kings in, but in Israel, but that's it, four. God speaks over King Jehu. That because you were faithful to do the actual removal of Jezebel, I will give you four generations of sons as kings. But that's it because you did not remove the golden calves and Dan that were the sin of Jeroboam. That's an important thing to remember for today because Jehu kills many. But when the semi-righteous, those who do half of the will of God, kills the wicked... The problem is never fully resolved. You coming within this church and giving a half effort will do nothing for you, I promise. You might manage to get a generation or two who follow the Lord, but it will never be something that preserves your generations in perpetuity in God's kingdom. Jehu was a mighty man, too. I mean, he was a force to be reckoned with, but he was only willing to do half of what God told him to do. The only way to truly exterminate evil in this land 
is to have the true Davidic line walking in the law of the Lord and seated back on the throne. That makes Joash the only answer. Where there is a lack of mature, righteous, older kings and leaders, the Lord will count on a child to be guarded until he comes of age to be seated on a throne. Though the whole inheritance is his, he is guarded until the coming of an age, as it says in Galatians 4. Our apostle Paul himself said, you have many guardians, but you don't have many fathers. And even the Greek word for guardians isn't the same thing that we're talking about here. We're talking about babysitters. We're talking about people who had the legal right to feed your kids. And that's it. We need some more fathers who will preserve. Amen. Let's pick up in 17 as we start to wrap up here through verse 21 of 1 Kings. It says, Then Jehoiada made a covenant between the Lord and the king and the people that they would be the Lord's people, also between the king and the people. And all the people of the land went to the house of Baal and tore it down. They finished the work Jehu started. Yes. His altars and his images, they broke in pieces thoroughly and killed Matan, the priest of Baal, before the altars. And the priest appointed officers over the house of the Lord, and he took the captains of hundreds and the Karaites and the guards and all the peoples of the land, and they brought the king down from the house of the Lord and came by the way of the gate of the guards to the king's house and he sat on the throne of the kings so all the people of the land rejoiced and the city was quiet for they had put Athaliah to death with the sword at the king's house Joash was seven years old when he became king hallelujah Jehoiada successfully carried out the mission all the way until Joash is sitting on the throne. And until we see not just Joash sitting on the throne, but those who would seek to kill him destroyed in the process. He, was, he killed the wicked authority and the idolatry and committed the people to the Lord and to the Davidic king. Jehoiada... It's not said of here in this passage, but Jehoiada was even buried among the royal family of David in Jerusalem. He's buried among kings. So we want each one of you men in this room, you may not feel like much of a king at times, but when you're looking at your children and you're knowing that you are raising up the redeeming voice of the next generation, you can know that you will be buried among kings whenever you carry out your mission to the end. We're telling you, it doesn't matter if they're yours by blood or whether you adopt them or whether you adopt them in the spirit. Jehoiada didn't need his name on Joash to give him his best. He didn't need Joash to carry his name to lay down his life for him. And that's what we are doing in this house for one another. You know, I heard a comment while we were out of town that one of the defining characteristics of how close our ministry teams are is that people who don't know us don't know whose kids are whose. I don't need Judah Michael to have my name on him. I'm going to spend the rest of my life making sure he gets to start his mission. Landon, Pastor Landon will not need 
my children to carry his name. He will do great things for them in those days to come. This is how we operate together as a force that cannot, that the gates of hell will not prevail. Today we are talking about kings and future kings. And in Psalm chapter 1, we are going to see how Ahab, Jezebel, and Athaliah, and the way that their spirits, who are very alive and working today, are crushed under men of God who desire righteousness. Amen? Turn back to Psalm chapter 1 with us as we begin to walk through this thing literally a few words at a time. Yeah, say remnant of kings when you get there. Psalm chapter 1, verse 1 says, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Verse 2, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. You see what we did there? We only read you a third of the verse. I don't know if you caught that, but I thought it was clever. That wasn't in our notes. I thought it was clever. But we're doing that because there's three parties involved in our message today. There's Ahab, there's Jezebel, and there's Athaliah. When, I, when we mentioned to look through Psalm 1, through the lens of Psalm 1, on these topics, it's important, and we're about to show you why. In verse 1 of Psalm 1, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. That word for wicked is Strong's H7563. It means guilty of crime, deserving of punishment. Guilty of hostility towards God or his people. A malicious nature in heart and action. It doesn't have to be violent. It could be malicious and behind the scenes. It's still wicked. It also means guilty of sin against God or fellow man. Most importantly for our point today, it means those who break Torah. So Psalm 1 is saying happiness or blessedness comes along with the man whose halakha, his way of life, his, the way you walk this life out, comes not from the advice of those who are considered Torah breakers. Do you guys see how this applies to King Ahab? The wicked in Psalm 1 is is a descriptor of this king who we are studying today. King Ahab was a descendant of the people of Israel, unlike Jezebel, and was overtly breaking the law of the Lord in everything that he was doing. Do you see, according to our our biblical definition of wicked, how he would be the the poster boy of wicked so that being said let's go back and recount four verses out of first king 16 so that we can fully make that comparison that pastor Kaysen's referencing to in regards to ahab it says 30 says ahab the son of omri did evil in the sight of the lord more than all who were before him and it came about as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of jeroboam that he married Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians, and went to serve Baal and worshipped him. And he erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, 
which he built in Samaria, which Ahab built in Samaria. Ahab also made the Asherah. Thus he did more to provoke the Lord to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. So a few things we want to mention to you guys here. Breaking the law of the Lord produces an environment and opportunity for complete misdirection. Breaking the law of the Lord produces an environment and an opportunity for complete misdirection. All it takes is for your fleshly nature to thrive is break one command of the Lord. How easy is it to sin? You just break the one and, oh, whoa, what happened? I've been struggling all week long. Well, how, how'd you get there? Well, I, I lied about this one thing and it led to this and it led to that and it led to that. It gets easier and easier as you fall and break the commands of the Lord to walk in the ways of a lawbreaker. We're not talking about, no, we are talking about not walking in the way as a lawbreaker. But with any sin you find yourself in, you get taken little by little, compromise by compromise, causing you to become more and more passive in your kingship. And it ultimately leads to you becoming a full-blown, wicked lawbreaker. This is the definition of Ahab. James 4, 17 says, So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Listen, when you sin, and because you are kings, you know that it's sin. And it's the opposite of good. And you know you not ought to do it. It immediately brings a guilty conscience. I can see it on some faces in this room. This week's been hard. Maybe you got back. Pastor Mike once told me, and it rings true, and it has been true every time in my life. Some of your biggest failures sometimes come on the back of your biggest victories. Because you're on such a spiritual high. You're on that high, and you're riding. You're like, man, we just had a great weekend, a great conference. You get home and get smacked in the face with a scheme from the enemy that you were not looking for because you were too busy celebrating what he had done last week when you should be thanking him for what he did last week and Lord, what do I need to do today to implement what I learned last week, right? So when you sin and you know it's the opposite of the good you ought to do, it immediately brings a guilty conscience. Where does it go from there if you're in Ahab's shoes? Instead of repentance and renewal, Ahab seeks to multiply it in the ones around him so he doesn't feel as bad about it. So he doesn't feel as bad about it. It's that, man, I feel gross right now. I just committed this sin, or I just did this, or I just led this person that way or said something I shouldn't have said. Uh, but my image, I can't, I can't say that I was wrong. Therefore, let me go kind of maybe try to multiply that seed in someone else. That way I'm not the only one who looks bad at least. That my, and my mind might be covered up by the ignorance of somebody else. Yeah. Listen, the wicked seek for your conscience to be guilty like theirs so that you forfeit the authority that you have, just like they did. Ahab was a wicked man, the definition of wicked, who forfeited his conscience by the guilt that sin brings, and it caused him to forfeit the authority that God gave him as king. Ahab and the wicked like him need to be approved and like to, be, to thrive off men liking them. They get that approval and satisfaction in your eyes by setting you up for moral failure and compromise yourself so that you end up in sin. And then they have something to hold against you, which damages your conscience. 
It makes you feel just as guilty as them so that they don't look as bad. Listen, Ahab cannot survive without other Ahabs. He cannot survive without making you like him. Not only like being like him, but like he wants you to like him. Right? Ahab was passive. He was shy. He was indifferent. He was an insecure coward that avoided conflict at all costs. He needed to be showered with approval. He loved to be liked and was way too overly concerned about being found pleasing in other men's sight. Does that sound familiar for some of you? This is how his wickedness became contagious amongst the people of Israel and started the downhill decline of his family, ultimately producing Athaliah. An example of this that we want some of you to take notice of is some of you are clearly anointed sons and daughters of God in this house. You have to know where you're coming from, though. The land that God brought you out of. You have to understand some of the DNA that you might still have left in there. If you were raised, or the lack thereof, by a complacent coward like Ahab, and an overbearing, wicked, manipulative witch like Jezebel, you might just have the propensity to become the same thing. Cowards like King Ahab open up the doors for everything else to become destructive. And all it has to be is because I find her beautiful enough that I'm willing to compromise what I know is righteous just so that I can feel a little bit better today. But we're speaking of these things today because we need some of you men to know that you might come from that stock, but you will be like Jehoiada, who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, but rather walks in the ways of the righteous. Amen. Amen. So listen, like Ahab, the wicked in Psalm 1, your kingship in this progression has now become subject to the direction provided by sin and the guilt that follows the sin, ultimately leading to the compromise of the family unit and every son to follow. Listen, here's the progression of the wicked to make it very plain. When a king fails to follow the commands of the Lord, he forfeits his conscience first, his authority second, and his family third. His conscience first, his authority and his kingship second, and his family third. Listen, I don't have anything nice to say about Ahab. And if you caught me in a moment off of this rug right here, not with a mic in my hand, it would probably be less nice. I'm trying my best. But listen, Ahab is a king of compromise. A pansy! He's a pansy. He's a filthy coward, and he's sorry. He shies away from all conflict that would set him up in a bad light. Listen, you reproduce what you are in the generations that follow you. So if that's you in this room this morning, I guarantee it, if it does not die, you will see it in your kids, and it will be magnified in your children. Listen, there's a reason that I 
have no tolerance for Ahab, and I'm learning to have no tolerance for Ahab because I have been Ahab my entire life. I have come from a line of Ahab's. I have been raised as an Ahab, and it wasn't until just recently in the past years that I have realized Ahab is a wicked king who was God-ordained king. Don't get me wrong. He was God-ordained king, but the carryout was wicked. Ahab might not have been on the outside the most wicked dude you've ever seen. Jezebel was one of the most wicked women you've ever seen, inside and out. Ahab was wicked on the inside, but he liked to play pretty on the outside. That's, what, that's, how, that's how I grew up. That's what I did growing up. My, my wife and, and Jamie, everyone can attest. Everyone that knew me growing up played pretty on the outside, but I was a wreck on the inside. Listen. Thanks. You're going to make me blush. Listen. Like a Disney character. Look at <laughs> It's the makeup, I promise. Listen, you reproduce what you are in the generations that follow you. The saying does not fall flat. One generation's compromise becomes the next generation's captivity. The example of the chaos that is ensuing in Israel in this time of Ahab. Ahab and his father and all of, many of the kings who came before them were in a war for the throne. Unlike the line of David that we see happening in Judea or in Judah, these guys are warrior generals that are fighting over a throne. So everything is illegitimate that's happening there. And what's interesting is it doesn't matter how strong these men were. It doesn't matter how much authority, how much chutzpah they have. They're illegitimate. They are out of line. So in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 13, it says, The wicked will not prosper, for they do not fear God. Their days will never grow long like the evening shadows. Listen, if the wicked are promised not to prosper, then we can make the safe assumption that their offspring they produce will not prosper either. Their current house and the generations that follow them will fall apart. The Ahabs of this generation will fall apart. That is a promise. Listen, notice how we're not talking about how you were raised. And to Pastor Kaysen's point, that plays, a, that plays a part. You need to know where you came from. You need to know what you're dealing with. But the point is not to blame shift where you came from. The point is you need to know where you came from so that you can address rightly what is happening right here in the now in you. Right? So listen, I'm asking you today because I had to do it this weekend. I'm still doing it even right now as we, as we speak this to you. Take a sober assessment of where you stand, especially the men in this room. In light of what the Lord is directing us to speak to you today, and in light of producing future kings and future queens that go out of this house and lead the nations back to our great king, this is about every one of you in the room this morning, just as much as it is us. Not your parents or the past generation. We do not blame others when it comes to our sin. That's what cowards do. Ahab was a coward. We will not be called cowards at Remnant Church because cowards are passive. Cowards are shy. Cowards are indifferent. They're insecure men that avoid conflict at all costs. 
They need to be showered with approval. Need to be liked. Wicked, cowardly men never hesitate, listen, never hesitate to put their wife in the position to do difficult things they should be doing. Ahab never failed to put Jezebel in the position to fall for his bad decisions. Being very frank, for most of us in this room, this is the majority of Christian male leadership we all grew up around. Every godly man, I'm not going to say every superlatives, I'm not going to say every, most godly men that we grew up around, especially the men in this house, were just like Ahab, called by God, anointed even, and giving way into wickedness by breaking law after law after law, finding themselves marrying someone like Jezebel who runs his family for him because he's too pansy to do it. So listen, we as kings of remnant church, remnant of kings, are changing the narrative in this place on Ahab. We are learning what it means to walk in godly kingship. And in order to advance, we must kill the wickedness that is breaking the law of the Lord. This is a hard message, man. It's a hard message for a few of you men specifically in this room. And you have to hear it because it's the only way that we can kill what has now been identified and we can move past these things so that we can let our future kings reign in our place because we don't want the spotlight. It's about our future kings who are to come. We must fight for righteousness at all costs because the lives of our future kings depend on it. Listen, as we move into further in Psalm 1, leave Ahab with this. When a king breaks the law of the Lord and he forfeits the leadership of his family, Jezebel will step up and lead in his stead. Before we move to the next subject, what ways are you as men compromising in what you know you ought to be doing? Where you've become indifferent. You've shoved it so far under the rug that it's like it's whispering to you from under the rug. You know you got to do something about it, but you don't want to do anything about it. It's those things that gives just an open door for what we are going to next because a little bit of compromise opens up the door for complete misdirection. Back in Psalm 1. How blessed is the man who does not walk or stand in the path of sinners. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. Happiness or blessedness comes to the man who does not stand in the path of sinners. The word stand here in the Hebrew doesn't even mean to be motile. You don't have to be moving. You just need to tarry in the same places where wicked people tread. You just have to linger a little bit where wicked people tread. It's like, well, at least I don't do that. Are you standing there in the middle of it? The path is where they journey. It's where they do business. It's where they commune with one another. And then the center here is where we get to see Jezebel come into the picture. Because the wicked have to have been under the law of God to be considered wicked and be breakers of the law. But Jezebel is a sinner. 
She got no law. And she is treading and carving out paths in between the cities of God's people for you to have the most convenient and nice travel experience as you continue in your inconsistent, cowardly behaviors from city to city to city to city as men. She's going to make it super easy for you. A sinner is one who misses the goal, the mark, or the way. It's to make false step or to stumble. And in speaking of archery, it's to miss a target. You know why you miss the target as a sinner? You're not even shooting at the right target. One who sins, one who commits a sin within God's people is not a sinner. Does that make sense? You might pull up a track record of enough sins to be considered wicked, but the problem with sin is that you are inside of the family and the people of God. You are traveling on the ways of God, but then you are doing the things that they do on the paths of the sinners. So that is how they behave. That is what they do. And you are bringing that culture, that way of life, those behaviors into the house of God. We are not sinners, though we might sin. Does that make sense? You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, as the scriptures say. But you just might be bringing the culture of the sinner into his house. Under a lack of godly kingship, there is room for direction to come from any wicked place. Kings and future kings must be men of direction. Without strong, holy, masculine, directive leadership, shalom will slip from the ranks of your family, team, or home one day at a time. Do not kid yourself that it's not made a big mess of a situation yet. It's happening one tiny little step at a time before you lose your stuff completely. There is no place for complacency in a home that is devoted to Adonai. Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 3 says, Now this is the commandment, the statues and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, Moses says, that you may do them in the land to which you are going to possess it. You are God's righteous people and you're being put in a blessed land. So then, therefore, you must behave and do the works that your God is commanding you to do. It says that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all of his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in a land flowing with milk and honey. Can you hear how much God wants to bless your life? When we're talking about an Ahab and Jezebel spirit invading God's people, We're not telling you, hey, you act like this. Get out of our church building. We're saying there is no place in your heart for these things to remain. 
We have to understand the way that he wants to bless us with generations and abundance in a land flowing with milk and honey. And he is telling us, you will walk in all of these blessings that I've spoken over you if only you remain on my path and not on the path of the sinners. Don't even stand there for a second. I wonder in the wilderness how long it took for the sons of Israel to be convinced that they shouldn't just stand there and look at the Moabite women, but they should go be with them. Imagine it takes doing a double take. Maybe it starts with a double take. It's like one step at a time. All of a sudden, you doing some funky stuff with some Moabite women that you were never meant to be doing, and you're not inheriting the promises of God anymore. A Jezebel spirit is perfectly satisfied with, your, with you complacently standing in her path because it was your inaction that put her in authority in the first place. We've been harping on the men a lot. Let me, you know, even the score a little bit for the ladies in the room. If your wife admires your passive characteristics, things are already out of order. No woman of God should be excited about a complacent husband. And I might be doing marriage counseling every day for the next four years because I'm saying this, but I'm telling you, women of God, do not accept complacent behavior in your husbands, but also do not seek to take his authority from him. It is not your job to do it. It was his, complacent, it was his complacency that invited sin, the sin that was abiding in your heart to take over the tone of your family. Some of you might be thinking of ways right now that you've got to go home and change some things. It was his complacency. Him rem- remaining in that complacency is of no benefit to you, woman of God. Don't accept it but instead build him up in the righteousness of Christ. Build him up in the ways of God. A Jezebel nature is almost guaranteed to arise in a home, family, or team who does not have a source of godly kingship. An Ahab type of leadership produces Jezebels. Godly kingship produces radiant brides. I'm going to make one thing clear because I want to get in on some of this for a second. Women or wives. Future wives. Future wives. Single women. If you blame your husband for your Jezebel-like characteristics, you might not be completely wrong, but you are, by doing that, you are refusing to accept responsibility for the Jezebel role you are playing in his life. So you are not without excuse. He might get the greater consequence and punishment because he's responsible for allowing you to be what you're walking in. But you, woman of God, do not tolerate the Ahab spirit in your husbands. Do not tolerate it because then you will be at just as much fault for the downfall of your family that he is. And listen, that's not what we want for anybody in this room. Because Pastor Cason just said it, an Ahab type of leadership produces Jezebel's. But godly kingship produces radiant brides. Husbands, are your wives radiant? Yes. Will they be more radiant tomorrow? Yes. Yeah, come on. Will they be more radiant in days to come? Yes. 
Proverbs 9, 13 through 18 says, The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house and she takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. There are plenty of passages in scripture to make sure men feel responsible for what they're doing. But with the Jezebel spirit, one might be utterly confused or rather lie to themselves and say that they're confused, that it's somebody else's fault that they're in the place that they are in. It says that the woman folly or foolishness, you have to understand the difference between Greek or Western foolishness and Eastern foolishness, right? Western foolishness is like you're ignorant. You just don't know what you're talking about. You're silly, you're goofy, whatever. Eastern fool, an Eastern fool or foolishness is one who is morally deficient. One who is wicked and it's not because of ignorance. It's because they know that they're wicked. The woman folly is loud and she is seductive, yet she knows nothing. It's interesting that a Jezebel spirit, like the woman Jezebel, seems to think that they always know everything. Have plenty of arguments. When a husband goes to give instruction, it's like, but what about that? No. It's like, well, come and do it my way, because I don't like the way that the leadership is doing it. So I'm going to start a little posse over here to the side that does it this way because, well, you know, I don't like the way that they're doing it, but praise God for me, I'll have my own group over here that's doing it the right way. Y'all, Jezebel does not live in another kingdom. She is inside of all of our churches. That's what, that's what, that's what this whole story is. She's in Israel. <laughs> She's not in Sidon. She's in Israel. She was invited in by a godly anointed king to be his partner in crime. Yeah. Hosea chapter 2, though, conversely, in verse 16 says, And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. And no longer will you call me my Baal. For I will remove the name of the bales from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by name no more. And I will make for them a covenant on the day with the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the creeping things on the ground. And I will abolish the bow, the sword, and war from the land, and I will make you lie down in safety. And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice and steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. I'm telling you, you ladies in this house, I'm not saying that you are Jezebel. I'm saying that a Jezebel spirit just might be operating through you at times. And I'm not willing to negotiate with a terrorist and say that at times is okay. Yeah, your, that's a good word. Your family's at stake. Yeah. At the end of the day, you will, when you pursue as a, as a bride who might not be getting it all right, but desires to, 
it, yeah. when you run after him with all the mud and muck and everything all over you, he will carry out Hosea chapter 2 and make you that radiant bride. Amen. The sinner, listen, the sinner is happy to do your dirty work for you if only you be still in their path. One of the, some of the most overused words in Christianity. Just be still. Just tarry while they do the work of destruction. When you hear this, do you think, well, I'm doing generally well. I'm no murderer, slanderer, or adulterer. I think we're doing fine and not sure that this applies to me. You, man of God, are exactly who this message is for. Your complacency is that of Ahab, and you are bound for destruction. Wake up, then. Wake up. Godly kingship does not simply fight to establish shalom, but it also retains, nurtures, guards, and multiplies shalom. Do not say that this does not apply to you. I do not want to hear about a different subject that you're trying to do a word study on after this. This is what God is teaching us right now together. Do not bring something else to me. I'm warning you now. You need to get this message. Because our land is so full of Ahab characteristics and it's invaded every single man within the church, at least to some extent. We have to remove the characteristics of Ahab because Jezebel will then govern the whole thing and we will lose it. The Second Kings chapter 10 verse 28 says, Thus Jehu wiped out Baal from Israel. But Jehu did not turn aside from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. That is the golden calves that were in Bethel and Dan. And the Lord said to Jehu, Because you have done well in carrying out what is right in my eyes, and have done to the house of Ahab according to all that was in my heart, your sons of the fourth generation shall sit on the throne of Israel. But Jehu was not careful to walk in the law of the Lord. This is why we're not talking about anointing or wisdom or gifting. We're talking about men who say, I don't care how I feel today. I will do what the law of the Lord commands. We do not have enough of this in our land. And it is killing the generations. For men looking for just how far can I go before I upset my God. That's not the conversation at hand. It's what all can I do to please my God. But Jehu was not careful to walk in the law of the Lord, the God of Israel, with all his heart. Half measures. He did not turn from the sins of Jeroboam, which he made Israel to sin. To put a period on that one for you, as we go into our third and final section today, when we are the wicked, I'm sorry, when we follow the counsel of the wicked, we don't have to be wicked, just follow the counsel of the wicked. You open up the doors to the path of sinners. And you will start seeing your spouses and your children and your friends that were meant to go with you on the path of righteousness, the highway of holiness. Take a detour and start going down a path that you never intended them to go on. A little bit of compromise today produces highways of sin in the future. Y'all back in Psalm 1? 
It's our last point. Say Athaliah when you get there. Psalm 1, how blessed is the man who does not sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Listen, happiness or blessedness comes to the man who does not sit in the seat where scoffers sit. That word for sit means to dwell or inhabit. The verb indicates more of a state of being more than literally just to to sit. The word seat means a habitation or a dwelling place, a place where one remains, abides, sits, a place to be seated. Scoffers means to scorn or speak arrogantly, to speak, whisper, mock out of the corner of one's mouth. So Athaliah is a scoffer. Athaliah is what Ahab and Jezebel produce together. She is the very offspring of these two figures. When passive meets aggressive, it produces a passive-aggressive beast who is after our future kings. When wickedness meets the sinner, it produces a scoffer who does everything in their nature to quietly, elusively turn the hearts of the future kings away from the hearts of their fathers and their destinies. Second Kings 11, verse 1. When Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she rose and destroyed all the royal offspring. But when Jehosheba, the daughter of King Joram, sister of Ahaziah, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him from among the king's sons who were being put to death and placed him and his nurse in the bedroom. So they hid from Athaliah, and he was not put to death. So he was hidden with her in the house of the Lord for six years while Athaliah was reigning in the land. Listen, Athaliah isn't as concerned with today's generation as her mother was. She's more concerned with the ones that come after each one of you in this room and me. A scoffer, again, is one who speaks indirectly, one who whispers, one who quietly mocks the things that are happening now, and they do it in the ears of our future kings. When we reference Psalm 1 and we say, I will not sit in the seat of a scoffer, we're saying that we will not abide or dwell in the habitation of one who secretly lures our future kings out from under our covering to be slaughtered, because that's exactly what Athaliah does. And it's exactly what Ahab and Jezebel produce when they come together. I'm sure we have your attention when we put it like that. Listen, a few practical ways that Athaliah can appear in us today. Your Ahab spirit is having a guilty conscience because of his sin and weak leadership. And that leads to the Jezebel spirit redirecting blame to somebody else. They're partnering their sin together. That produces Athaliah. Ahab's questioning the relationships and the love that those around him have for him because he's insecure and he's a coward. Jezebel partners with him in that sin, affirms his distrust, and plants seeds of further distrust that produces Athaliah. 
Ahab questions the methods, the tools, the weapons we use to fight our battles, the weapons of old. And Jezebel offers different solutions. Why not try Saul's armor? No, David, you're meant to have a rock and a sling, not Saul's armor. You're meant to have the weapons of old. When Jezebel and Ahab partner together, they produce Athaliah. Listen, Jezebel or the sinner isn't super concerned with sitting on the throne of your heart. She's more so concerned with getting you off of where you're supposed to be and taking you to where she is. Her daughter absolutely wants the throne of your heart and your children's heart. Notice Jezebel never sat on the throne of Israel. Her daughter did. Jezebel never got close to the throne. She took kings off the throne, but she never put herself on the throne. Her daughter did both. Jezebel's okay with pulling you around on a chain like a puppy dog as you're looking to figure out where you can get your next meal. Athaliah will bully you off that throne and take your seat. Athaliah is the full, complete version of her parents, is the best way to put it. She's double trouble that are either, she's double the trouble that either of her parents were. And she's the very definition of sin being magnified in your children. Yeah. Matthew 23, 13. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow others to go in that would go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single convert. And when he becomes a convert, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Jesus said that. Jesus said that to men in charge of churches and synagogues. If it was present in Jesus' day... And sin multiplies in each generation. You can do the math on how many generations ago that was. And you can understand why we say we see it everywhere. We're surrounded by it. Because it's present in most, if not every church, in some form or fashion. Listen, we're going to close out at, at the lie here because we're going to spend the weeks to come talking about how we as kings protect our future kings. We spent the past week talking about it, and now we're going to talk about how to defend our kings, how to use the weapons we've been given, how to keep the Athaliahs out of Remnant Church and this family. But listen, before we do, you need to know a few things about Athaliah. She's a broken, afflicted child who seeks to heal her own wounds by self-inflicting, by inflicting wounds on others and is not satisfied until she assassinates the entire family of God, even if it takes eliminating her own family to achieve it. Somebody say Hamas. Yeah. Can you see how this is the product of Ahab and Jezebel? Athaliah plants seeds of distrust in the heart of future kings. Athaliah questions her leadership. Athaliah thinks she could do a better job or her way is best, and she whispers those things ever so quietly in the ears of the ones following in our footsteps. Yeah. She overflows with mockery, slander, and dishonor. She takes aim to eradicate whatever stands between her and your throne. 
we must eradicate her presence from among us. We must eradicate these silly differences of opinion. Did we not talk about that this past week? What's that Greek word? Diacrino. The differences between us? Eradicate them. Eliminate them. Because they are what produces Athaliah. A scoffer will mock her way right to the throne of your heart. And we must eradicate and send her spirit back to the pits of hell where it belongs. Because she's looking to completely cut off the seed from what it's supposed to do. And we are standing up against her and saying we will eradicate Ahab. We will eradicate Jezebel. And we will er eradicate the production of both of those put together being Athaliah. Because we as kings will live righteously so that we can guarantee the rule and reign of our future kings to follow us. We're going to give now some really clear instruction on how we're going to do this together as a church. We're not leaving a whole lot of room for interpretation. Quite frankly, God's already given us the weapons of old, the weapons of, of the time of David that we can work on together. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 14 says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then to be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills. And I will find out of these arrogant people. I will, not find, I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but of their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. So we're not going to give you big theological stretches and then end this thing with that. Paul admonishes the church in Corinth. And I admonish you today, Remnant Church, be imitators of the way of life that has been handed down to you and that you see on display. We need fathers and kings in this place. Amen. And if we're going to have men of authority, we got to learn how to be men under authority first. It's just how it works. People will tell you that there are a hundred different ways to do that. I care not for what they say. These are the arrogant who get squashed in the end. Men of authority who recognize that there are other men who are going to be raised up in authority and they are humble enough to place those men on their shoulders and lift them further and then the young men are humble enough to say I don't need a shortcut I'd rather do this the hard way so what does that mean for remnant church no wickedness of Ahab which is complacency no sin of Jezebel, which is idolatry, and no scoffing of Athaliah, which is mocking slander and dishonor. We will be men who love and obey his law, men who imitate the way of life we've been given, and men who lead our families and friends in the counsel of the righteous, the highway of holiness, and the habitation of wisdom. Y'all go ahead and stand up with me as you receive a final word of instruction that you can carry home to do with your families, your spouses, your teams, your children, whatever they are. Consider this remnant church your charge from your pastoral team. Yeah.
What does that look like for us today? Remnant Church, I'm not speaking to somebody else in the room. I'm speaking to you. The first thing that that looks like is to study the messages and the teachings of the men of God who build you up every single day. I'm telling you, the answer was already in Psalm 1, but he delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on it day and night. There's no reason to do it some other way. God has given you leaders who are responsible for you, who have given answer and given account for your soul. Let's work together to daily study the scriptures and the things that God is teaching our community. Amen? Every single day. Like if we're going to do something, we're going to do it every single day. Amen? Second, we're going to write these scriptures on note cards. Like, oh, well, that's for the little kids. No, it's not for the little kids. It's for you. There is so much illiteracy as it pertains to the Bible in this room and a lot of opinions that come with it. That this will not be an issue in this church from this day forward. Amen. We will resolve it by loving the scriptures, loving his law, loving his word, studying it. And you will remember it, I promise you, when you write it down. This is why we were taught that the kings of Israel had to write their own copy of Torah. Because so that it wouldn't be a matter of ignorance. It would just be a matter of overt wickedness that they were breaking the law. That's how we will remove ignorance in this house. And to your, wife or, to your wife, for those who are married, men, and to your team or your brothers or your sisters, those who are single and living in homes together, we will speak Abigails over each other every day. Not just in principle. I mean the actual ones that you wrote down in marriage counseling. The actual ones that you wrote down in your marriage enrichment. You're going to speak those over your spouse every day whether you feel like it or not. I think we can do that together. We love our spouses enough to do at least that. And then go help them with the dishes or something. Like, do something that. <laughs> and listen, you singles who are not married yet, you have not gone through marriage counseling. But we do not have westernized, foolish, ignorant singles in this place. No. We have men and women who know the word. They know the content and the weapons that Remnant Church fights with. And they can every day do the same and speak the Abigails to one another. Yeah. So number one, we are going to daily listen and give attention to the messages and the teachings that God is doing in this house. This looks like while you're on your commute to work. This means while you're laying in bed and instead of watching some sinful, moronic show on Netflix, try listening to something that's going to edify you and build you up. Amen. Um, Especially anime. I just want to put a nail on that one one more time. That stuff is sick and wicked. Get that crap out of your house. Eradicate Ahab, Jezebel, Athaliah, and anime. <laughs> there are so many other things that are wicked too. We're just picking on that one. The second was to write the scriptures on note cards and meditate on them day and night. And then third, to speak Abigails over your spouse. Or if you don't have one, your brothers or your sisters who you live with or you're close with. Amen? That's pretty simple, right? So lastly, every day as a man and king, men in the room, raise your hand. Make your home a habitation of edification. 
That's a good word. I don't care if you were a husband or a dad. If you were a man in this room that lives in a house with other people, make your house a habitation of edification. Speak highly of your friends and your family in front of your wives, your children, or brothers. Do not let slanderous Athaliah-type speech come out of your mouth in your home. We will speak highly of those who we love and build a culture of honor even in the private places of our home. Pray for your leaders who care for you. This will help keep any offense from rising up. When we actually, in compassion and in love, pray for one another, I promise you, you won't let roots of bitterness stick around for long. Lastly, intercede in the power of resurrection for those who hate you or who are against you and do not know God. Amen? Simple? We're going to send these things out to you so that there is no ignorance on this subject. Hallelujah. Jesus, we are men and women of God in this house who will do whatever it takes. We'll even sit through long sermons, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Because we desire more to do the work of your kingdom than to spend another moment making excuses for why we haven't yet. Come on. Jesus, our lives are committed to doing your commands. You said that we would love you and that we would love you and we would show our love for you by doing what you commanded. So Jesus, we're running after you and while we're running after you, Lord, we will do the things that you have commanded us to do. God, in your name, Jesus, we will be a church that is released from the curses of Ahab and Jezebel and Athaliah. And we will be a city set on a hill that people have never seen before, whose leaders are not falling to adultery, whose families are not falling apart due to offense. And for young children, young sons and daughters, whose futures are not cut off by the desires of this world because moms and dads are in the spirit of Jehoiada raising up that next generation that's going to lead. We do all these things in your name, Jesus. We love you. Amen.